0: After that music, I'm not sure that you need a message. I really enjoyed that. However, it reminded me of a story about an elderly gentleman who wanted to travel on a train. And as you know, when you leave Lynchburg, Virginia, and come toward California, your times change. And he wanted to go from Bainbridge, Georgia, to Dothan, Alabama. And so he went to the train station, and he asked the agent, Uh, What time does the train leave? And the man said, 8 o'clock. He said, well, what time does the train arrive? And the man said, 8 o'clock. This puzzled the elderly gentleman. He had not traveled a great deal. He didn't quite understand the difference between the time zones. And he said, now, son, would you please tell me that again? What time does it leave? He said, 8 o'clock. He said, well, what time does it arrive? He said, 8 o'clock. And all this time, a long line of people were lining up behind the gentleman, and the clerk was becoming very, very impatient, and he said, now, sir, do you want a ticket or don't you? And the old man looked at him, and he said, now, son, tell me just once more, what time does that train leave? And the clerk said, eight o'clock. He said, what time does that train arrive? He said, eight o'clock. Now, sir, do you want a ticket or don't you? The elderly man looked at him and he said, No, son, if you don't mind, I'd like to just sit down and watch that thing take off. <laughs> and I think that's what we had here this morning. I enjoy the music. I really enjoy the piano playing and the drums as well. I was just sitting over there. I couldn't keep my eyes off of everything. It was like panoramic vision. I'm thank- thankful <coughs> Excuse me for the opportunity of being here. I appreciate the invitation. I've heard a great deal about Masters College. I only have one... A uh, thing that I'm grateful for, though, and the fact that you're not on the East Coast because you happen to be, uh, other than perhaps Cedarville College, our greatest competition in recruiting students. You're doing a wonderful job, and I appreciate it very much, but hopefully you'll stay on the West Coast and let us alone on the East Coast if you don't mind. <laughs> I also am grateful for the opportunity of being here. I, uh, Uh, I have met your pastor and your chancellor, and your president, but as he, uh, he doesn't realize this, but I jog and I walk with him every day. Uh, When I walk and jog, I usually turn on the radio so I can hear it, and he's always on there at that time, and if he's not, then I always take one of his tape recordings, and I walk with him, and he teaches me the scripture, so I learn a great deal about the Bible from him. And I share many of the same thoughts uh, that you received from him as well and I'm thankful for it. Have you ever had one of those days when nothing seems to go right, nothing seems to go the way it should, everything goes wrong? You know it usually starts the night before when you set your alarm knowing that you've got a very busy day the next day and you want to get up on time. But you're so sleepy that you set the alarm a little bit earlier than you wanted it to go off. And so in the next morning, the alarm rings, you grapple with it, you turn it off, you don't realize what time it is, you fall out of bed and you start moving as slowly as possible toward the bathroom. Now you don't want to wake up your roommates or whoever you might be living with in your home and so you try to be very quiet. But on route to the bathroom, your foot jams against a piece of furniture and you just wanna yell out, you you clamp your hands and you grit your teeth and you just pray, Lord, don't let me make a noise because I don't wanna bother anyone. (laughs) Thank you. Now, (laughs) after you get through all that, you get to the bathroom and you're so sleepy, you turn on the switch and the light goes out. It just flashes and it just goes out. It blows the bulb. Knowing again that you don't wanna bother anybody, you try to struggle with the fact that you're going to get dressed and you get put together as much as you can without uh, turning on the lights and, and going about all that and so you reach for the toothbrush and after you get finished brushing your teeth you realize it was your roommate's toothbrush uh, but if this isn't that bad enough then you take you take uh, your deodorants and instead of doing what you're supposed to be doing with it, you spray your hair thinking it's hairspray. And then you take your hairspray and you use it for deodorant and the rest of the day you're going around like this. (laughs) Have you ever had one of those days? Well, finally, I have. And in one of those days, I I really went through all of those. That's an honest to goodness truth story. And I got out of bed, and I did all that, and I finally got en route to work, and I was thinking about things a thousand miles away, I was listening to something on the radio, and I wasn't paying attention, and as I was driving onto the campus, this brand new Cadillac, which was just in front of me, slowed down, and I bumped it. Now, I didn't bump it very hard. I really didn't. And so all of a sudden, this young man climbs out of the driver's seat. He's got bright red hair and the temper that goes along with it. And he comes rushing toward my car, and I thought, now look, I I know I didn't do a great deal of damage, but I'm going to get out and see if I can help him. I started to get out, and as he came to me, I saw that he was covered with lead liquid from the top of his head to the tip of his toes, just just all over the place. I said. My goodness, I could not have hit him hard enough to go through the windshield, but that's most what had happened. And he finally got to me, and as he came closer to me, I finally realized what happened. And the story was revealed that he was on route. He, was 20, he lived about 20 miles away from Lynchburg. He was on route to a job interview. He was dressed up in a suit and clothes and everything else. And uh, he had stopped off at a restaurant to get something to eat and in his lap he was carrying a huge bowl of chili and so when I hit him it just went all over him and that's the way we met it wasn't a very pleasant experience well after I got through all that I thought the rest of the day would be okay and it was for the most part until the end of the day and I usually drive around the campus and I was visiting some of the students talking with them and I was sitting in my car and all of a sudden this young lady who had been typing frantically on a term paper for her boyfriend she wanted to get it to him she jumped in a borrowed car and she backed up with all the might and muster that she could gather and smashed into my car that's the way my day went one day and I was beginning to think Lord is it possible on days like this that you really think that we can be spiritual Is it really possible that we can live that victorious Christian life on a higher plane? And to find the answer to that question, I want us this morning to focus our attention in the book of Philippians. Now this is one of my favorite books. It's short, it's easy to read, you can read it in a short period of time. As you know it was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. And he he approached his circumstances with the utmost confidence in God. He knew that God was omniscient, that he knew everything, past, present, and future, and that he would take care of him. He had the confidence in God that he was omnipresent. He was with him in that cell. He was with him in his difficult circumstances. He had confidence in the fact that God was omnipotent, and that all the power of God could be his as necessary in his life. And in fact, if you, as you read through the book of Philippians, you'll find out that there are many, many promises that God gives us concerning his assurance of being with us. That the Apostle Paul says in uh, chapter 1, being confident of this very thing, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Again, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. On uh, chapter 22, verses 5, 6, and 7, we have these words. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Taking the form of a servant, he humbled himself and became obedient. And then again in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 7 and 10. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. And then in chapter four, he gives us, be not anxious. Don't be overly concerned about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. And my God shall supply all of our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The book of Philippians is full of the promises of God that he can give us the power, the ability to live in a higher plane. And this morning I want to speak with you on the subject of God's daily plan for success. God's daily plan for success. Young people, today we live in a world of conflict. We live in a world of change. We live in a world charged with revolution. We live in a world of chaos. We live in a world of confusion. The age in which we live is marked by international decay and national uh, conflict and moral deterioration. It is a world in despair. It is a world in disillusionment. Human philosophy is bankrupt. Nations today are weary and walk on the very precipices of world war Men and women everywhere are bewildered by the problems that they face. There seem to be so many dangers that we can no longer avoid There seem to be so many problems that We can no longer solve There are so many burdens that we can no longer carry upon our shoulders and the whole pattern of our civilization seems to be undergoing far-reaching changes there is a feeling among many that this is now the terminal generation. Someone has said that this is the most important decade in the history of civilization. It is a world that is moving from independent countries to a single economy and one marketplace. We are moving toward the capability of communicating anything to anyone, anywhere, by any form, at the speed of light. And this is illustrated in the fact when we fought in Vietnam, we had a television war. Today, we have a televised war. As one writer describes it, it is is as if we were emerging from the 20th century version of the Dark Ages. Now, there is no doubt in my mind that the 1990s will have a profound influence upon your life, your career, your marriage. Where you will travel? What your children will do? And there is no doubt in my mind that we are going into a century, a decade of accelerating change, and it is going to be a time when we are going to constantly ask ourselves the questions as to how we can examine ourselves and our lives and our values. And in facing these challenges of the next 10 years, the question arises, how can you and I live a successful Christian life. This morning I want to share with you five principles, very briefly, from the Word of God as to what God has to say about how you and I can do what God wants us to do. I believe that these five principles will tell you how you can do what God wants you to do personally, how you can become what God wants you to become professionally, and how you can live a successful Christian life. I was saved at the age of seven. My brother was an independent Baptist minister in Buffalo, New York. And it was under his ministry that I was saved and I was baptized. And at the age of eight, I I selected my life's verse. All of you know it. Some of you have perhaps chosen it for your life's verse. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. But later on in life I selected what I consider to be my daily living verse. I call it my daily living verse because it guides me in living my life on a day to day basis. It motivates me to take action. It challenges me to overcome the problems and the difficulties and the obstacles that I have to face every day. It encourages me when I get discouraged. It helps me to accomplish my routine tasks and responsibility. I read it every day. I frequently repeat it to myself throughout the day. My daily living verse is also very familiar to you. It is found in Philippians, the third chapter, verses 13 and 14. And it reads like this, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or attained In other words, I have not yet taken full possession, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark or I press toward the goal, my objectives for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus now in this passage of scripture the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit gives us five basic principles where we can succeed on a daily basis in living the Christian life if you are going to experience success in your Christian life these are the five things you must do I would suggest that you jot them down number one you must recall the purpose for which you are living you must recall the purpose for which you are living. Notice the apostle Paul says this one thing. There are three questions most frequently asked during a person's lifetime. Why am I here? And where am I going? And what am I going to do with the rest of my life? In other words, what is my purpose for living? You see, life without a purpose has no meaning. It is like a ship without a rudder. Life without a purpose means that you aim at nothing and you hit it with accuracy. Why are you here? What are you doing here? What is your purpose in life? Where are you going? The, ver- the answer is very plain. You are here because God has an eternal plan for your life. He provided Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, to die on the cross of Calvary. And through His shed blood and our acceptance of Him as our personal Savior, we can have fellowship and communion with God throughout all eternity. That is God's eternal plan for our lives. But God also has a lifetime purpose for your living today. And regardless of what profession you go into, regardless what vocation you may take up, Regardless if you're going to be a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, a minister, a pastor, an athlete, it makes no difference. You are here to serve a living God. You are here to live the Christian life regardless what you are doing or where you go so that others will be attracted to your Lord and Savior and they will also come into the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. You see, it doesn't make any difference. You don't have to be just a pastor or a Christian teacher you could be a doctor a lawyer it makes no difference you can be a professional athlete whatever it is you are called for a purpose to attract people to the Lord Jesus Christ sometimes when we face the complexities of living and the challenges of life we need to recall the purpose for why we are here Young people, do not allow all the circumstances of life and all the activities that are going on to crowd out the most important thing, the most urgent thing that you have in life. Do not let the urgent things of life crowd out the most important things of life. Let me illustrate. Several years ago on the campus, I was walking across the campus and this young man came forward looking in my direction. He was very tall, very handsome. He was an outstanding athlete. He was a star football player. He was also a man who was very active in Christian service. He witnessed for the Lord. He went out into the community. He got really involved in his church work. He was academically an excellent student. He was an outstanding leader on campus. And as he walked toward me, I saw that he was crying, his shoulders were slumped, and tears were streaming down his eyes. And I went over to him and I put my arms around him and I said, son, what is it? What can I do? What can I do to help you? And he looked down into my eyes and he said, Dr. G, Dr. G, I have become so involved in all that I'm doing, I'm afraid that I've lost contact with my God. You see, you can become so involved in even good things of life You can become so involved in school activities and sometimes even church events and all that's offered by the community and the city. You can do a lot of things, young people, but the point is, regardless what you are doing, do not allow those things to crowd out the most important thing in your life, and that is your personal, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Even on a Christian campus, even in a Christian university, sometimes you can lose contact with people and you can lose contact with god surrounded by it yes supported by it but it still can happen the second thing if you want to live a successful christian life is that you also must become a self-starter a self-starter paul knew that if he was going to accomplish anything for the lord he was going to have to take the responsibility himself to do it in verse 13 the Apostle Paul says this one thing notice I do not God does not the Holy Spirit not the pastor of the church not my parents not my teachers this one thing I do Paul was a self-starter and not just one time but time after time after time you know when I used to read through the book of Philippians I thought that Paul was a very conceited egotistical Christian I thought he was very self-centered, because every time I turned around he was using the term I. And all of my life I have been used, I have been instructed not to use the term I, because it really wasn't me that was doing it, it was God working through me, it was the Holy Spirit controlling my life, and that is all true. God does work through us and the Holy Spirit does control our lives. But I think the Apostle Paul was trying to teach us something. He was trying to teach us that God uses us, but until we are ready to be used of him, until we take that first step, we will never be used successfully. And in fact, if you read the book of Philippians all the way through, you will find out the Apostle Paul used the term I and a verb over 50 times. Notice, he says in this way, I do, I rejoice, I thank, I trust, I attain, I uh, entreat, I press that I may know him. I pray. The Apostle Paul was taking on his own shoulders the responsibility because he knew if anyone was going to do anything for the Lord, he is not going to have to wait around and wait for someone else to push him in the right direction. You know what I find out about Christians? Most Christians know what they're supposed to do. They just don't do it. And yet the Word of God tells us, you know what has to be done, therefore go about doing your father's business. You know you're supposed to pray, pray. You know you're supposed to study the scriptures, study the scriptures. You know you're supposed to witness, witness. You know you're supposed to glorify the Lord, glorify the Lord. You know that you're supposed to study as a student, do what you're supposed to do. That's what the apostle Paul is saying. A young lady uh, had a very interesting experience on our campus not too long ago. It's my custom when students register to go around the registration check-in area and talk to parents and the students. Now, I'm not, I am not well known. Am, I'm the person who works behind the scenes. I'm not on television. Very few people really identify me if they see me in person. And that's the way I like it but in this particular case I was walking around campus and she saw me and perhaps I looked a little bit haggard and old and down in the dumps I don't know what I looked like at the time but she came bouncing up to me she was a brand new student she had been on campus for two weeks she was excited she was enthusiastic she really wanted to be of help and she walked up to me and she said sir can I help you and I said well not really I'm just looking around well sir I'd be glad to, to show you around Liberty University I said okay let's go. So she took me to the dining room, she took me to the gymnasium, she showed me the dormitories, she showed me uh, the other places that were on campus, the bookstore. she even took me to my office. (laughs) She still didn't know what was happening and for some reason no one, everybody was getting tickled about it so they just didn't tell it. We got back to the registration area and finally somebody came up to me and said Dr. G can I help you? Uh, can I? Can Can you help me? Because I got to get through this line, and if you put your signature on there, they won't bother me. Just put your signature here, and we'll go. And I do that sometimes. Not very often. Once a while. And all of a sudden, the light began to dawn on her, and she she became red, blush, and she said, "Dr. G, please, please, don't don't tell anybody. Don't let let's just drop it here and there." And I want you to know, I promised her, I said, I will never tell anybody and I haven't told anybody to this day. (laughs) But I'm tempted to sometimes because that person may be sitting in this audience for all you know. But the point is, is this, she was excited about her Christian faith. She wanted to do something and she saw somebody that needed assistance and she activated her Christian faith and she tried to help that person. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say, get into it become a self-starter number three you want to become a success in God's work have daily success in your life then if you are to experience God's daily plan of success you must become an overcomer of obstacles and roadblocks you must overcome obstacles and roadblocks notice these words forgetting those things which are behind The Apostle Paul accepted the reality we do not yet attain, we have not yet taken possession, we have not yet apprehended. We are going to fail, young people, all of us fail. You are sometimes going to stumble, sometimes you're going to falter, sometimes you're going to fail, and the Apostle Paul says yes that's true, that's why he says I have failed, I faltered, but I'm going to put those things in the past, I forget those things which are behind. You know there are two anxieties that dominate a person's life. The first one is our unchanging past and the second one is our unpredictable future. But the past is past and nothing can be changed. God will forgive you of the past young people but he will not allow you to go back and change the past. What's done is done with all the mistakes that you may have made, with all the faults and the failures you've experienced, yesterday has passed forever beyond your control. There is not a single act that you can redo just the way it's supposed to have been done. There is not a single word that you can pull back. You can never go back and correct the mistakes just the way they were. That doesn't mean you don't try to do the best that you can. And it doesn't mean that you, you don't uh, think about those things. But he says, look, I've made mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Then put the mistakes back in the past where they're supposed to be. When my father and I uh, were living together in Buffalo, New York, I was very, very young. and He used to take me to uh, a circus every year. And I would love to go to the circus because there I saw the elephants. And when I went to the circus, I would see the small baby elephant tied to a little bitty stake. And year after year, I would watch that elephant try to struggle and pull away. But he didn't have the muscles. He didn't have the power to do that. And years later, 10, 15 years later, when we would go back, I would go back to that same place. And now, instead of seeing a small baby elephant, here was this huge, grown, monstrous, athletic, powerful animal. But you know something? He was still tied to a small stake. He could have pulled it out and run away. He had the strength, he had the power, he had the might, but he didn't even try. Why? Because he was living in the past. His mind and his heart told him that because he couldn't do it in the past, he was going to fail in the future. And that's the way a lot of Christians are today. We're so concerned about our past that we don't accomplish anything in the future. God, young people, is the God of the second chance every day is a new day every day has new opportunities and new beginnings and new challenges and new sunrises and Paul is instructing us to put the past in the past if there's something in your past that needs to be forgiven ask God to forgive you accept God's forgiveness and learn to forgive yourself but not only are we hampered by the past sometimes we are fearful of the future the unpredictable future 1966 in June I was speaking in a church in uh, Mobile, Alabama. My wife very rarely travels with me but in this particular occasion she was there in the audience just about four rows in. And as I was speaking I immediately saw an expression on her face that just startled me. I did not know what was happening. Fortunately it was near the end of the service. We drew it to a close and I went down and I asked her what was wrong and she looked at me and she said I've gone blind in one eye. No, no warning, it just happened. We immediately called our physician in, in Virginia and he said, You must fly her back to Virginia because we have the facilities to take care of her immediately, and that's what we did. After the examination of the first eye, they told us that she, unless she had an operation, immediately she would go blind in the second eye. Now here she is, a relatively young woman, attractive, personable, a person who I've lived with all my life who bore my children. And I can remember watching her stay in that bed with her eyes patched together with no guarantee whatsoever that she was ever going to see again. Fortunately, the Lord overcame that. But I can well remember when one time the doctor came by her bed and she asked the doctor, how long do I have to keep these patches on my eye? And how long do I have to stay in this bed? And he said, Mrs. Gillerman, you have to be here just one day at a time. One day at a time. Now, listen to me, young people, what the future holds for us. All we have to do is live and walk the Christian life today and let God take care of tomorrow. And if we do what we're supposed to do today, then God will take care of tomorrow. There is a fourth principle that you must follow. The fourth principle is this. If you want to experience God's blessings and the success in your life, then you must become a visionary. He says, reaching forth into those things which are before. In other words, he says, get a vision. What is it that you want to accomplish? Set some goals. Set some target dates. Establish some priorities. Many a person has failed. Listen to me, young people. Many a person has failed in life, not because they lack the ability, but because they lack a vision. Master's College would not be here today if it were not for a vision that the founder had. Billy Graham Evangelistic Association would not exist today reaching the world if it were not for the vision of its founder. And that's true of everything that you do in life. Where do you want to be in the future? What is it that you want to accomplish? Set it in motion today and move on toward it. Many, many years ago, we had a student, a graduate student, attending the university. And uh, he was blind. He was married. He had a seeing eye dog. And when he came to me, he said, Dr. Gilliman, I don't have a job, and I don't know how I'm going to make it through school. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a job. You're a teacher by undergraduate training. You teach typing. I'm going to put you in the academy, and I'm going to let you teach typing. So I put him in the academy, and he taught typing. Everyone thought that was a little strange. How can a blind man teach typing? He did it very well. He walked into the classroom, he gave the instructions, the dog followed him or led him in, and the dog maintained the discipline. (laughs) And then afterwards he would take the homework home to his wife and his wife would grade it. It worked out fine. He got through and he finished. And as he was walking across the platform, I asked him the question, how did you do it with all the problems and the obstacles and and the fact that you could not see you didn't have vision he said Dr. Gilliman he quoted from Philippians I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me and interesting enough everyone was so excited about how much he accomplished that his wife and a teacher had made a cap and gown for the seeing eye dog as well as he walked across the platform <laughs> what I'm trying to get across to you is this young people get a vision of what you want to accomplish and even a blind man who has no sight was able to establish his commitment and goals and move ahead and fulfill his vision. Finally, the last thing that you need to do, if you're going to become an effective Christian and live a successful life, is you must make a de- become a decision maker. You must become a decision maker. Winners make decisions, young people. Failures do not make decisions i would rather have a person on my staff who would make decisions even if it's the wrong decision which can be changed later than someone who does not make any decisions at all every day of your life you are faced with decisions life is full of decisions there are places to go people to see problems to solve plans to implement all of life is a matter of choice All of life, your career, your marriage, what you want to accomplish is a matter of choice. Right and doing wrong is a matter of choice. The books that you read are a matter of choice. The music that you listen to is a matter of choice. Whether you go to heaven or hell is a matter of choice. If you're going to be a success in the Christian life, you are going to have to make decisions and commitments and you're going to have to fulfill them. I see you today, a wonderful group of young people, from freshmen to seniors, who are one day going to go out into the world. But in my mind's eye, I see you as if you were going out into a field to pick cotton. Now today they have machinery and so on, but when I was traveling down south, they used to have uh, people who would go out in the cotton fields and they have sacks around their neck. And they would go to the cotton and put the cotton in the sacks. And I imagine you going out with a sack around your neck into life and you can pick up all the jewels and all the gold and all the silver that life has to offer and all the precious stones. Or you can pick up all the trash, the scrap iron, the junk, the filth that you want to. Or you can pick up any combination of the two. The problem is once your sack is filled, your life is finished and you must face your maker face to face. You must make a decision now as to what kind of life you want to make. What kind of life do you want to give? And there's one decision I want to leave you with before we close. You have one indecision right now that's very important. And that is the decision not to quit. I want you to notice the Apostle Paul says, this one thing I do. And then he goes on. And then he says, I press. I don't quit. I won't give up. Losers never win and winners never lose. You've heard that. Don't give in to Satan. Some of you are having difficulty with your courses. I know what that's like. I was an average student. I didn't like school that much. I liked a lot of things about school, but courses were not one of them. I paid the price for it though. Family situation, some of you may be facing some hard times in in your family. Finances, even your roommates may be giving you difficulty. Maybe that job just isn't what you want it to be. On the other hand, maybe you have social problems. Maybe you, your boyfriend or your girlfriend are just not clicking together as they should. All of us have different kinds of problems, and we have a temptation to quit, to give up. But listen to me. Don't let Satan discourage you. He's going to put up roadblocks in your way. Don't allow yourself to become disillusioned because other people fail and other Christians falter. Don't allow the circumstances of the world take away from the centrality of Jesus Christ in your life. Don't give up. Don't give up. Let me close with this one illustration. Several summers ago, I had the opportunity to attend Harvard University. That was a very unique experience. There were 82 college and university presidents there. We were there for five weeks, and we were there to be uh, better trained to do our job. In fact, some of those people that were there were there because they were being uh, reviewed as far as potential presidents for colleges. And so we went to classes six and a half days a week. We spent classes 12 to 15 hours a day, morning, noon, and night. I used to go to bed at 4 o'clock in the morning and get up at 7 o'clock in the morning. Every night I had to read a thousand pages and the next day I had to report on those thousand pages and defend my arguments. We used to have 16 PhDs and other doctorates sitting behind us analyzing everything we said, everything we did, even how we dressed and what we, uh, how we sat. And after class they would take you aside and they would say, now you did this wrong, you did that wrong, and so on. Tremendous amount of pressure. In fact, it was so much pressure that one young man had a heart attack. Another one, he got a call from his board chairman saying, they've told me that you can't cut it and you wanted to be a college president. You're not going to be a college president. You come on home. Very rough. Several wanted to quit. These are college and university presidents now. These are people who wanted to do a certain thing, but they also got so discouraged they wanted to quit. And so the director came to me and said, uh, I know who you are and I know why you're here and I know that you're not going to quit but I need help so that you will help the others not to quit. And so on top of everything else, I was trying to counsel some of these college university presidents so they would not quit. What I'm saying is this, young people, no matter who you are, no matter what stature you've reached, no matter what position, we are all faced with that tendency of wanting to quit when things get difficult. And the word of God says, press on, do not quit. An elderly gentleman came to a platform similar to this. He was to give a commencement address to thousands of students. He was about 80 years old. He had a cane and they helped him out of his chair. They walked him to the platform and he gave his commencement address. It only had nine words to it. It was the shortest commencement address that I've ever heard. He said, never give up. Then he paused. He said, never give up. He didn't say anything else. Then he said, never give up. And then Winston Churchill turned around and walked back to his seat. The shortest commencement address, but the most profound advice that I know to give you today. Don't give up. You really want to live a successful Christian life? We have the greatest opportunity today in this day and age. If so, recall the purpose for which you are living become a self-starter become an overcomer of obstacles and roadblocks become a visionary set some goals and targets and priorities become a decision maker and when you do all these things and you will fulfill the requirements of the third chapter and the thirteenth and fourteenth verses this one thing i do forgetting those things which are behind And reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark, the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Shall we pray?